Welcome to the podcast of New Creation Christian Center. I am Pastor Marquise Franklin, and I am excited that you would take the time to listen to our latest sermons and what God is doing in this ministry. New Creation Christian Center is in Seattle, led by Pastor Harold and Annis Franklin. And our statement is, come as you are and be transformed by the word of God, as stated in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now, I don't know what you're going through, but I want you to be encouraged by the word of God that is going to be shared today. Check it out and share it with somebody that may need it. Now, let's get into this week's message. Believe, and when I say the we, I'm talking about the church, not this building, but the church body. And I want to go over a few things, because I think sometimes in the midst of all that we go through, we forget what we really believe and whom in whom we placed our faith in. So I want to cover a few things today, and we're going to have a guest speaker next Saturday. So Pastor Marquise is going to preach next Sunday. So I'll come back on the first Sunday of September, and we'll finish some of this. But I want to start it and, and get, get into it. So let's pray and ask God to give us ears to hear what his spirit is saying. Father, we thank you for the, the praise, the honor, the glory that you put in our hearts it's so wonderful because as David says, we just give back to you what you've given to us. We really don't have anything to give you. But we thank you that you so willingly give to us so that we could willingly give back to you. So Lord, I pray that you would give me your word to speak so that we could hear what your spirit is saying to us and so that we can line up to what the plan that you have for us is. So give us ears to hear, a heart to understand, and a will to do the word that you've given us this day. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen. So, like I said, we're talking about what we believe as a church, and I'm going to take this thing off. Thank you. And, um, and the reason I say this is because with all the things, and I'll get into some of the things that are currently going on, but not talk about it directly, but as it relates to what we believe, the church has to make sure, as that old song used to say, you better be sure that your anchor is holding. And some of you don't know what that song is, but there's a song that says, you got to be sure that your anchor is holding. That's a reference to a boat, obviously, and if your anchor is not holding in a storm, what happens to the boat? It just drifts. Amen? And I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm worried, not in the sense that I'm anxious, but I'm concerned that the church's anchor is not holding in some situations. We've gotten swept into the tide of the day, and we forgot to lower the anchor so that we could be held onto by the one who holds us. Amen? So I want to just touch on a few things today, and like I said, we'll get into the others later, but I want to talk about, first of all, the, the things the church believes. Now, there, there's things that the church believes that unites us, and this is where unity comes in with the body of Christ. There are many things that the church does not fully agree on. Okay, and I'll touch on some of that later on. 
But there are some things that you have to agree on to become a Christian. And you, there is no compromise about these things. The death, well, let's start. The, the birth, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection are the five points, one of the five points that you have to believe as a believer. If you don't believe those things, you don't believe that Jesus is the Savior. So we'll touch on some of that, but we want to touch on some of these other things. But how many ever heard of the word liturgy or liturgical? If you grew up in a church that was liturgical, and I know, Obed, you guys go, went to the Anglican church. Uh, they have a lot of liturgy in their services. That just means it's a system or a, a fixed ceremony that they say in public worship, usually on a regular basis. A lot of time that includes the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it, it includes what we're going to refer to as the Apostles' Creed. Now, how many have ever heard of the Apostles' Creed? Let me re see your hand. Now, the funny thing about God, when I was growing up, I went to uh, First AME church in, church in Seattle right across the street from where Michael and Monica live. And I went to church regularly up until the time I was about 12 or 13. And I used to hear this all the time at church because we were a half litur liturgical, half not liturgical, but there's a lot of liturgy in the First AME Church, and there still is to this day. So the Apostles' Creed, and <clears throat> for those that don't know it, it is said to have been written by the Apostles, but that's not true. That's why it's called the Apostles' Creed, but it actually didn't show up until 300 A.D., and we all know the Apostles were all dead by then. So they did not come from the Apostles, but it came from what we commonly refer to as the doctrines that were set in the church by the early church fathers, all right? Now, of course, the first church fathers are the apostles, right? The 12, then you throw in Paul in there. You can really throw in Barnabas, Silas, uh, all the young of the early people that you read about in the book of Acts would be considered church fathers. And remember, back in those days, everybody did not read, right? I mean, let's be honest. It's only been in the last century that reading has been given to, if you want to call it, the masses. Am I right? This is not, this is not new information, I hope. That's why the public school system was set up, is so that we could teach uh, regular people, if you will, how to read, write, add, subtract, multiply, and divide so that they can function in society. If you go back to the times before colonialism in America, or actually even during colonialism, only the elite were educated. So when you th see things like the Apostles' Creed, this was designed to help the layperson understand the things that they believe based on their relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? So, I don't know if they, they typed it out, but I tried to and I was... Yes, did you get it all? Okay. So it says, the first thing is, I believe the in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit 
and born of, a, of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into the plate, in, into descended to death. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And when, when I was young, it was called the quick and the dead. <clears throat> I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. And like I said, Obed and those guys probably said this. They say this probably in the Anglican church almost on a regular basis. Every Sunday. There you go. So it's, and it's a pronouncement of doctrine. But let me say this about doctrine. Doctrine is the accumulation of the truth of the scripture by humans. So it's not fallible. Or excuse me, it is fallible. It's not infallible. Okay? That's why we have disputes about it. But then again, we have disputes about the scripture too, so I don't know if that really qualifies it. So it's important to understand, although these are important truths to know, and it's nothing wrong with memorizing this. And like I said, even as a young person, I memorized this. I forgot it after I backslid, if you could call it backslid. I don't think I ever had a relationship. But I recalled it as I got closer and closer to God. So these kinds of things are important because it gives you a foundation to build on. Now, the Bible says, who is the cornerstone of our foundation? Say it out loud. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. But who are the other foundational stones? The apostles and the prophets. All right? So it's the teaching of Scripture is what we build our foundations on. Amen? So these are the kinds of things. Now, let me say this, and I'm going to qualify this a little bit. I'm going to keep qualifying it because, like I say, it's important to understand what the church was going through when Jesus left. They expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime. Did you guys know that? And so therefore, that's why we don't get the books of the Bible until 60 AD, 50 AD, because most of them was like, we ain't got time to write, man. We got to get this thing out. But as, as they settled into their new faith, they realized his coming was imminent, but it was not immediate. And so they had to come up with doctrines because there were a lot of doctrines floating out there. If you read the Bible, you will find based on what they talk about, what are the things they were dealing with. Now Paul talks about eating meat that was offered to idols. You remember that in 1 Corinthians? And he says, don't worry about that. Just go on and eat. Give thanks to God and eat. He says, but if there's somebody there that's a worshiper of an idol, and they tell you that this has been offered to the idol, then don't eat it for their sake. But if it's nothing like that comes, so these are the kinds of things because they're dealing with the pagan world. And, and, and somebody was saying this, and this is funny because sometimes we think, oh, that was a long time ago. Well, I was listening to a, a radio show, and they were talking about going to China 
and how in many of their meat markets, they still offer their meat to idols. So this is not something that was 2,000 years ago. This still goes on today. Amen? So the, 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 the apostles were trying to solidify the doctrines, the beliefs of the church so that they would have sound doctrine that would carry them all the way up to our time. And so this is why things like the Apostles' Creed was, was given. Uh, uh, there's three other creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Anthesian Creed, um, and I don't want to get into all those, but if you want to look them up, those are some of the following creeds that corrected what they felt the Apostles' Creed left out. Mostly the Apostles' Creed, according to them, didn't really talk about the deity of Jesus. And so they wanted to address that in those other creeds. That's, that's the only history lesson we'll talk about. So what does the church believe? Well, the first thing, of course, is God. Now, even the Jewish people had what they called the Shama. Everybody knows what the Shama is? When they asked Jesus, Rabbi, what, are the, what is the greatest commandment? You guys remember that in the, in the scriptures? And what does he say? He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is what's called the Jewish Shama. And then Jesus adds the second commandment, which was to love your, thy neighbor as thy say, thyself. On these two commandments, he says, hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, this is the foundation that the law and the prophets were built upon. And Paul jumps into Romans and, and expounds on that. But that's what Jesus said. So the Shama was like a, an expression of a creed for the Jews. Amen? So God is always the center of our belief system. And you have to understand God because, well, let me back up. We can't understand God. Let me, let me start there. But God has revealed himself to us so that we at least have a glimpse of who and what he is. Amen? Now, let me say something that's going to kind of shock some of us, but it's, not, it's a good shock. Did you know that God may or may not have hands? Because God is a spirit. But when he relates to us, he uses the word hands. Amen? Because God doesn't have to get his hands dirty. God speaks and things happen. He said, let there be light and everything forms. So he doesn't have to touch anything because his being emits life. So he may or may not have hands, but he has identified hands for our sake because we have hands. And we understand the concept of hands. See, God is a relatable being. He understands your limitations based on his magnificence. So he has to come down. Everybody say, come on down. <laughs> he has to come down to our level so that we can understand him at his level. Amen? So he revealed himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go to any Jewish book, and I, I have a Jewish Bible that uses interchangeably English and 
Hebrew words. And when you read the first chapter of Genesis in a Jewish Bible, the word for God is Elohim. Everybody familiar with the word Elohim? And if you know anything about Hebrew, which I don't know a lot about, but I know a little bit, and the little bit I know is that when they put the I-M's at the end, that is the plural version of that word. So when God says, let there be light, and Elohim says, let there be light, that is an identification of the Trinity without explaining who he is at that point. And then remember, when he gets to the human beings, he says, what? Let us make man in our image. And I saw some scholars from other religions trying to explain what that us were referring to. And they said, well, he's talking to Adam. He's not talking to Adam. He's making Adam. <laughs> so how could he be talking to somebody he hasn't made yet? Now, of course, God can do whatever he wants. But he's talking to the Father. He's, the Father's talking to the Son, and the Son is talking to the Holy Spirit. So they're communing over the creation of human beings. But his identity is established early on because the us is peculiar to the shama of the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is still one, but he has revealed himself in three persons. Now this is not something that we can easily grasp. The Trinity is a difficult position to understand, but you have to because God has revealed it as such. We know that First John, John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but the Word was God. So now he's identified a second person in the Godhead. And then Jesus says, then I'm going to go home, and when I get home, I'm going to send another comforter, and he's not going to just be with you, but he's going to be in you. Well, only spirits can dwell in you. And he says he's going to teach you, so he has to have knowledge. And you, you follow me? So he reveals the third person as he gets ready to leave. And he says, and he doesn't want you to leave yet because the spirit is going to come and he's going to carry the, 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 the ball after I leave. And now you're going to have to follow him. And see, that's the other thing. He says he will lead you. Everybody say lead you. If he wasn't God, why would God tell him to lead us? Amen? Now, I know I'm logically trying to set this forth, but it's important to understand that God has revealed himself in three persons. And God is completely perfect. He has no character flaws. God does not improve he is what he is, and he will be what he is from now until eternity. And he is worthy of all praise, adoration. He is all-knowing, totally good. And his plan is to restore all things to himself. This is the God we serve, and this is what the Bible is all about. You see him create Adam and Eve. You see them fall, but God doesn't back off and say, let them deal with whatever they're going to deal with. He starts to work and manipulate and, and manipulate in a, in a nice way. I know a lot of people don't like to say God manipulates, but manipulation means just to work with. Okay, let's, let's, let's set that <laughs> definition because God is not a manipulator as we know the negative side. 
but he does work with people. And he works with people until he can finally find an Abraham. Amen? And then when he gets an Abraham, he gets an Isaac. Amen? And then when he gets an Isaac, he gets a Jacob. And then he has to fix Jacob because he has to even change his name because he is a rascal. <laughs> and then you get 12 rascals. <laughs> anyway, but God is constantly drawing people to himself. This is the Old Testament word. He's, try, he's, he's gathering himself a people so that he can have a voice in the earth so that the others can see it and be drawn to it. That's God's plan from the beginning, and it's his plan when Jesus comes. He comes to give not only the Jews, but he kicks the door open for Gentiles too. Amen? So God's desire is not only has he revealed himself in three persons, not only is he all good, all perfect, and all knowing, but he also has a plan to draw us all to himself, to restore us to the place where he created us. Amen? That's what we are on the road towards. He wants to restore the relationship he had with Adam now through his son to himself. That's what he's doing. That's his point of restoration. But now, since Adam failed, he uses Jesus, not as a secondary plan, because the scripture says Jesus was the plan. Amen? He's not a secondary plan. And these are the kinds of things that the church has to understand. Some church people say, well, Jesus was the backup plan because Adam sinned. Well, if God knew the beginning from the end, he knew he was going to fall. Some people say, well, God set him up to fall. And that's because you don't believe God is a good God. You understand why all this stuff has to work? To understand that God is not in the business of tripping people up. He gave Adam a choice, but because he knows everything, he knew he would make the wrong one. Amen? So he's not, he didn't set up Adam. He just gave him a, a test. He allowed him to be tested because the Bible says God does not test anybody. But who tested him? Satan did. So this is the first thing we have to understand. We have to understand the nature of God. And from the nature of God, we then understand how we as human beings are supposed to present ourselves. Amen? The Bible says God is what? The L word. Love. That's a revelation, a New Testament revelation. Even though he showed that he loved the children of Israel, his, his person being identified as love is a new revelation, truth. And so everything he does is motivated by love. For God so the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe will not perish but have everlasting life. You see how he's motivated? Everything he's doing is about changing people's hearts. But the world doesn't want their heart changed because the enemy has blind the Bible says the enemy has blinded their eyes so that they can't see. I mean, isn't it, a, isn't it amazing that you can go and as somebody said this Sin, the sin nature of human being is probably the most undisputed doctrine in the scripture. 
but it's the most denied of all. <laughs> I mean, we can all watch the news and know that something is wrong with the world. But then we turn around and say, not me. <laughs> it might be with them, but not me. <laughs> and God knows it's us, but as long as you deny that it's you, he can't do anything with you. And, and this another quandary, and I'm going to have to get out of the quandaries, but how can an all-powerful God give you the power to make a choice that supersedes his power? Yeah, I had to chew on that for a while. Because <laughs> Jesus said he went to his hometown. And he could no, no great works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. So if you don't believe in God, God can't help you. Say that. If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in God, God can't help you. God. And you have to and you also have to believe in him rightly, correctly, or he can't help you. Amen. I'm going to move to the next one. The next one is the scriptures that God gave us. Now that this this particular one and the, the words are up there so I'm not going to read it all. But God is a, they start out as God is a God that speaks. And he has revealed himself through the scriptures. Now, when God speaks, remember, we, we don't ever want to tie God up and say, well, he only speaks through scripture. We know from scripture that he speaks audibly as well. Amen? Everybody knows that, right? If you don't, go to Exodus chapter 19 and 20, and he'll, you'll see that he spoke audibly. And he speaks, and he, and he did it when Jesus came out of the water. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He did it on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says the same thing. This is my beloved son. Hear him. So God speaks, but he has revealed himself through the scriptures, and when he does speak, he doesn't contradict what he's revealed. And this is an interesting dilemma because people think, well, the Bible contradicts itself. The Bible does not contradict itself in truth revealed. Now, what you might see, and let me, let me say this, and this is another thing about when you read the Bible, when, when you read the Bible, remember that people are giving their perspective, even though it's a revealed word, they're saying things that are not always true, but it's truth because they said it. Let me, let me give you an example. Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Everybody's read that, right? But who took from Job? We see that in the first two chapters, right? Satan wants permission to kill, steal, and destroy Job's life. So who stole from Job? Who killed Job's kids? So even though Job said God did it, that's true, Job said it, but that's not true that God did it. Are you, are you with me here? Because Job 2, remember Job is actually the oldest book of the Bible. 
And nobody even really knows who wrote the book of Job. But look at Job as an introduction to how people started to understand how God operated. And he was without the benefit of all the scripture that we have that talks about God is a loving God. God doesn't tempt human beings. But we, Job didn't have that. Are you guys with me here? So it's under, we have to understand that some things said in the Bible are true, but they're not always speaking truth about God. Amen? You follow me on that? So you have to be able to discern, and, that, and that's why you need the Spirit to teach us what is and what isn't the, the message of the Scripture. Because people have built doctrine on what Job said. Am I right? People go through sickness. People lose their children. We say it at funerals. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's not a proper pronouncement of God's nature. <laughs> are, are, are you guys seeing this? So it's so important that we understand scripture. That's why the Bible talks about rightly dividing. And that's our old King James phrase to mean that you put it in its proper context, place, and reference points so that you can understand how the whole counsel of God applies to each and every person. Amen? Because otherwise, you look at the Bible as a sequence of stories that has no benefit to you whatsoever. Amen? So... God speaks. He gave us the scripture. We have 66 books. Uh, the Catholic Church, as everybody knows, had added. And actually, it's not just the Catholic Church. Some of the other Orthodox Church have added what we call apocryphal books. Anybody read those before, by the way? Anybody ever read them? I have read them. And the apocryphal books are rightfully not included in the scripture. <laughs> because they say things that contradict the teachings of all the other 66 books. For example, and I don't remember the book this was in, but there's a story, there's a book where this angel comes to this man and lies to him. He, everybody said the angel lied. Angels have no reason to lie to people. Why do people lie? Because they're afraid. Sin makes you do things. And sin is fear is sin, as the scripture says. And the angels aren't afraid of people. Amen? Amen. So the angel lies to this person, deceives them. And then he gives them a command to offer a fish on the altar. There is no prescription in Leviticus where you can offer fish as an offering. So I'm, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm saying, oh, no wonder this is not in the Bible. Because this doesn't line up with what God has revealed. What You have to offer calves, lamb, goats, or cow. That's all. You can do, you can do I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You can do doves. You can do, if you don't have a dove or a cow, or a, you can do wheat. But that's the prescription. <clears throat> and this is what, where people fall short. And this is where the children of Israel fell short. 
They always thought they could add to what God said they could do. Doesn't that sound familiar today? <laughs> People want to add what God said don't add to. Or they want to take away from what they, he said don't take away from that. See, he gives us the prescription on how to worship him. We cannot say, I don't like that prescription. I'm going to get me a new one. That's how we get medicine, but that's not how you worship God. <laughs> they that come to me must believe that I am and that I am a rewarder of those that diligently seek me. And I tell you how to seek me, and if you don't seek me in the way I tell you, you're not seeking me the, way, the right way. And you might say, well, that's narrow. Well, he made the way. He said what, narrow is the gate that leads to life. And few there be that find it because they want to go the wide road. <laughs> Amen? All right, I might have to close this down, but let me, let me go to the third one. So the scripture is what God has given us to reveal himself. He shows us what to believe, how to believe. Now, let me also say this as before I leave this. The Bible does not cover everything that you will experience. Does everybody understand that? In other words, the Bible does not talk about, even though we talk about this a lot in the newspaper, the Bible does not specifically talk about abortion. Abortion is not in the Bible. Nor is there a pronouncement against, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but drugs are not in the Bible. Now, it does talk about being drunk, and you could, if the Holy Spirit is your guide, understand that drugs make you drunk, and he tells you don't be drunk with wine, but if you take the wine out and just drop the drunk part and be filled, because it's not about drinking, it's about being inebriated or in a consciousness that is against what God is doing. Be led by the Spirit. If you want to be inebriated, be inebriated by the Spirit of God. That's what he's telling us. And folks say, well, they didn't talk about marijuana in the Bible, so that means I can smoke wheat. Well, <laughs> huh? That's what people say, right? But see, that's because you're in the flesh. The flesh is looking for loopholes. <laughs> Lawyers look for loopholes, right? That's what, somebody give me a contract, I ask them two questions. Do you want to follow the agreement or do you want to figure out how to get out of it? That's the two questions I ask them when they hand me a contract. Are you trying to help understand it or are you trying to get out of it? That's how people are. They're trying to find a loophole. God, if you are led by his spirit, the truth will reveal, be revealed to us. Even though, and so we, we know, going back to the abortion issue, we know that God loves life. He tells you to be fruitful and multiply. He talks about in the Old Testament when Judah's sons didn't want to create seed with the wife that their brother had left and they spilled their seed on the ground. They were killed for that and they called them wicked 
for doing that. So life is important. And, and the Bible is the book, by the way, that says if you kick a pregnant woman and you kill the child, you too will be killed. So he treated the child as a human being. Well, common sense says that, but the world has tried to redefine it because they're looking for loopholes. Because I was watching this commercial and it's, they were talking about abortion and it says, well, it depends on how you define life. Yes, it does depend on it. But when you define it as a child, if you leave the child alone, common sense tells you it comes, becomes a what? You leave the child in the womb alone, it becomes a what? A human, right? But if you mess with it, it's not. It won't become a, hum, a human. So the Bible doesn't specifically teach this, but it, the spirit of what the Bible teaches, teaches it. Amen? I just wanted to say that. So let's, say, let's move on. I'm going to close in a minute. So creation, we believe that God created male and female in his image to glorify him. We believe both men and women were created equally in the image of God and have equal access to the saving work and satisfaction of Jesus. After the creation of the world, God declared that it was good. God gave Adam and Eve dominion to rule over the world as God's stewards and commanded them to care for, manage, and govern his creation while living in perfect relationship with him. Now, there's two things that come out of there. So God created how many sexes? <clears throat> not three. Not an unknown. Not a to determine later. Huh? I mean, when you, when you, when my son was born, you know, now, back then, we didn't do ultrasounds to find out if it was a boy or a girl. I had to wait until he was born. But I, when he came out, I didn't say, oh, huh, I wonder if that's a boy or a girl. Well, I'll just have to wait and see. Huh? That's what they're trying to tell us now. Wait and see. But the Bible says he created a male and female. And, it's, and you might say, Pastor, why is that important? Because if you don't have male and female, you don't have a society. See, there's three things that society is built on, and then I'm getting ready to close. There's got to be God. There's got to be a male and a female. And in the context of procreation, God said there has to be marriage. And guess what? Three things are all under attack. They don't want God. They're trying to redefine the male and the female, and they surely have tried to redefine marriage. But no matter how much you try to redefine it, you can't survive without a male and a female procreating. Otherwise, society will collapse. It's just biologically impossible any other way. So, so if anybody wants to argue about well, can't two people that are same sex be married? You can call it what you want, but it's not marriage. And, and you can't build a society on that relationship because society will not procreate and it will collapse. It's just a common sense thing. That's why the Bible said be fruitful and multiply. Because with Adam and Eve, the, the, the end would have come if they didn't be, weren't fruitful, right? 
If they didn't have any children, it would have been over back then. So it's so important. These are foundational truths that have to be carried by the church. Otherwise, society breaks down. That's why we have to stand for what we stand for, even though it's not popular. Amen? And, you know, I never thought we'd be getting here. I never thought we'd get here. Well, we have to convince people that a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. I never thought it. But the enemy is crafty. He'll make you look in the mirror and tell you, I don't believe what I see. And he'll convince you that what you see is not true. That's how deceptive he is. I mean, can you imagine you looking at you, see your big hairy self, and say that you ain't a man? Or you see your, your, your picture of a voluptuous woman and you can tell yourself you're not a woman. That's deception, folks. That is high-end deception. And that's where we're falling in as a society. <clears throat> we're constantly deceiving ourselves. Constantly. Trying to make right wrong and wrong right. So anyway, I'm going to have to close because it's getting late. So I'm just starting to kind of unfold some of these because these things are important for the church to stand because we have to stand. We have to stand regardless of any, whether anybody else can stand. Now, the problem is, and I am closing, the problem is when you, when you depend on politicians to do the right thing, it's based on the whim of the majority. And so they're good and they stand for the truth, but as soon as the tide switches, if they want to stay in office, they usually switch with the tide. So conviction is not a, always a condition. To, it should be, but it's not always a condition to be a, an elected official. So that's why you can't put your trust in elected officials. You have to trust God because I'm the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I am God and I don't change. <laughs> so we have to trust that our anchor, as I started, is holding. Because he's not changing. You might say, well, God is a God of love. He loves you, but he's not going to change for you. You're going to change for him. <laughs> That's the way the game is played. Anyway, let's stand. So I hope you're getting something out of this. I know it's some of us have never been exposed to theology. And I'm trying to keep this as lively as I can possibly keep it because I, I could read you the, the definitions and all of us would be asleep. But you have to know what the church believes so that you can do what the church is called to do. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I just want to do justice to your word. I don't want to step over. I don't want to step out of bounds. But I want to do what your spirit has bounded me to do. And I pray that my boundaries won't bind you. And that you would take what I say and reveal it as your the great teacher to us so that we can understand what you're laying out before us so that we can do what you've called us to do. Oh God, we need you more today than we'll ever need you before. 
And it's going to get even more and more that we need you. But Lord, I thank you that we're recognizing that we need you. Because until we recognize we need you, we won't ever change. So thank you for helping us to see it so that we can change. And be changed into your image. Not into ours, but into yours. So thank you for this time. Bless the word. Bless those that are hearing it. And let us be doers of it as well. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. So we are going to uh, receive the offering. If anybody needs prayer, we want to pray for you. Don't want to ever cause, not do that if you need prayer. Also, uh, Michael and Mike. We thank you for listening to today's sermon. And we pray that you are impacted to become the new creation that God desires. We at New Creation Christian Center invite you to come join us for service Saturday at 7 p.m. or Sunday at 11 a.m. located at 5150 South Cloverdale Street, Seattle, Washington. Also, feel free to visit us online at newcreationwa.org. New Creation Christian Center, the path to genuine life where you can come as you are and be transformed by the Word of God.